Thank you for choosing the Abide College Ministry Podcast. If this is your first time listening, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message inspires and challenges you. Now here's a message from one of our leaders, Hunter Story. Sometimes life is just filled with those like epic movie moments. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like this moment should be caught in a story or should be caught on camera because it's just like an epic moment. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anyone experienced anything like that? Last couple weeks over spring break, maybe you're at the beach on vacation and it's just like, this should be in a movie. Like this moment is epic. Life is filled with a lot of those moments or hopefully for you, your life is filled with a lot of those moments. I saw an epic moment, a movie moment last night. Is anyone watching March Madness? Any March Madness fans? Like, okay, yeah. Anybody see the Michigan-Houston game last night? This game was wild. So I think Michigan's down by two, right? And then uh, they're down by two, and then they inbound the ball with three seconds left, get it down the court, and this fresh, he's a freshman, I think, hits this uh, shot at the buzzer, a pretty deep three at the buzzer uh, to win the game, and then the Michigan team just, like, floods the court, and it's like this movie moment. Like, this kid is a freshman. Like, he's going to be remembered uh, in, in Michigan history forever because of this moment because uh, he, uh, he hit that shot. And life's full of moments like that in, in, in a lot of different ways. Maybe you had a movie moment that was kind of like that in a sport. Maybe your epic moment in life was when you asked that girl out and she said, yeah. Or maybe for you ladies, it was when he asked you out and you could say yes. Or, or maybe it was in that sport where you hit that, uh, hit that, had that game-winning hit to, to win the game. Or maybe you uh, crushed that talk so that you could get that scholarship. Whatever it is, there's a lot of moments in life that we can say, that's like epic, right? I, I was thinking about epic moments in my life, and uh, I was, I've had you know a couple probably. I would, I, would, I would like to say I had one though that that really stood out to me. And this epic moment happened when I was five years old. And so uh, at my elementary school, I went to Weston Elementary School here in Rome. And what we did every year at the end of the year was there was this thing called the kindergarten circus. And so what this was was at the end of the year, uh, every single kindergartner in the school would like sign up for this specific role. Like I think my brother was like a lion tamer or something silly like that. So he had this like gold silk vest and silk pants. It's pretty pretty funny. I had another friend who was like a clown. It was just like super silly, but it was called the kindergarten circus, and everyone tried out for uh, a role, signed up for a role, and they auditioned for it, and then you would get it um, and whatnot. And I remember my teachers came to me. Maybe it's just because I'm like a talented guy. I'm not really sure, and, uh, and said, we have a specific role that we want you to play, and so we don't want you to sign up or audition for any of the other roles. We have one that we want you to play if you're willing to do it, and I said, okay, like, I'm up for it, and they asked me if I would be a part of the finale of the circus, and what they wanted me to do was I was going to sing God Bless America by Lee Greenwood at the end of this performance, and it was going to be awesome. And so I did it. I said, yeah, I'm up for it. This was like my, this was my moment. Like I was going to step into this role. I think there's a picture, if you guys want to check it out, from me uh, in kindergarten. <laughs> and so that's me. I have the little American flag. And I'm telling you, I look fresh. Like, look at that. And so I remember, I, remember, I, I saw that picture and I was like, I have, I have to show it because, I mean, I, this was, it was a finale of this circus. We did two performances, one in the morning, one at night. Mackenzie, don't take a picture. Um, and so... Uh, <laughs> And so there was two performances, and at the, the last performance, the night one, it was really special. And I remember I'm out there singing God Bless America. I'm not like, really singing it, but like, I think I am, and uh, I, I act like I am. I have this little like, toy microphone or whatever, but as Lee Greenwood is singing God Bless America, I come into that last, um, or God Bless the USA, I think is the name of the song. So I come into that last part of God, uh, God Bless the USA, the curtain behind me, like, it, it pulls back, and then every single kindergartner is behind me, and they're waving their American flags behind me. 
And I think the reason they did this, because this was the year 9-11 had happened, and so it's like this super special moment. And I kid you not, as I'm singing this, confetti falls from the ceilings. <laughs> and I just think, I'm a superstar. This is it. And so it was just this epic moment. The, the, all my friends are behind me watching me, cheering me on. All, the, the city auditorium was where it was at. It was filled with people. There's like, I, I imagine there's like a thousand people. It's, that's what I think. But it was ep- an epic moment. I remember uh, I had a friend there or a family friend there who he was a, a Marine. And so afterwards he like grabbed me and it was a super special moment just for him and, and whatnot. And I thought, man, that's like, that's a cool movie moment. You know what I mean? Like that's that was my, my start to being famous. Maybe I really am Justin Timberlake. And so uh, <laughs> for some of you, you might not think it's funny. I have people tell me that I look like Justin Timberlake. And so people disagree with me. I'm going to ride with this. So anyways, but there's epic moments in life. There's movie moments in life. But then we all know that this is true. There's always tomorrow, right? Like while life is filled with great epic moments, life is also filled with moments that are somewhat disappointing. Am I right? And for some, for some reason, that's just the way it is. It, life is filled with great, great moments. But we also know that, in life's, that outside of life's epic moments, there's also disappointing moments where circumstances don't go our way, where people let us down, where, where our situations just aren't really in our favor. And that's just the way that life is. And if you're anything like me, what life it seems like it is a lot is a battle for contentment. It's a battle to be satisfied in the way you, the, with what you have and with who you are right now. And that's just the way that life seems to work sometimes. It's this battle to find contentment. This has been an idea that's really been on my heart for the last uh, several months, this idea of being content with what I have, with who I am right now in this moment. And that's, the way, that's what contentment and satisfaction is truly all about. And it, I think at the core, what culture teaches us is to always be pursuing more. Like if you will get some more money, then you'll be all right. If you'll get more friendships or relationships, then you'll be all right. If you'll get a little bit more fame or more success or more, more attention or whatever, then you'll finally be all right. And I think the battle for us all in finding contentment is that we have culture telling us we always need more of something when Jesus and the Bible are saying that you can settle in, you can settle for less because if you have the right things, then you can actually find contentment. And so that's kind of the battle that we all face, the tension in our, I feel like for so many of us and with our generation is that we live with this mentality that we need more things so that we can finally be satisfied and happy when that's not exact, that's not what we need at all. I think a lot of times, and especially in our approach to God, we feel like we have to have epic moments. Like if life's not filled with movie epic moments, then, then it's disappointing. And I think a, a lot of times we approach God and say, God, I need you to do something epic in my life so that I can trust you. I need you to do something awesome in my life so that I can begin to, so I can follow you completely with, with all that I have. And I think well, um, in John chapter 6, we see a story that's kind of like that. And so I want to invite you to turn with me uh, to John chapter 6. And we're going to look um, at uh, this story that I think is pretty remarkable to kind of catch you up where we're at in John chapter 6. Jesus is at this point where he has this uh, pretty big following right now. And people are kind of um, really drawn to him because this dude's different. Like he's his message is very different, but also he's performing these, these crazy miracles, and so people are like flocking to Jesus wherever he's at because they want to see what is this guy going to do next because he's been healing people like crazy. He just did something pretty epic that many of you know about. He fed 5,000 people with some boy's lunch for the day, and so he's able to take the, the bread and the fish and multiply it to feed 5,000 people, and they actually have food left over. So it's a, it's a miracle that he's able to do. And so people are like tracking with this guy. It's like, man, this guy's pretty special. He's pretty awesome. I want to go check out what he has to say. I'm going to go follow him because he does, he does cool things. It'd be 
kind of like if there was someone performing miracles on Broad Street and we knew who was going to be there tonight, we probably wouldn't be here. We would go to Broad Street because if there's someone performing like supernatural miracles, we're going to go check that out and there'd probably be a lot of people. That's kind of the same idea uh, that we get here. These people are following after Jesus because they see him do this awesome stuff. So it's kind of like, what is this guy going to do next? And so he feeds these 5,000 people and then after that, his disciples get on a boat, and they sail to a town called Capernaum, um, and Jesus doesn't go with them, and, and, and on their way there, there's the storm that comes, and then Jesus walks on the water, so this guy's doing crazy stuff, and then they get to this other town, and, and these people flock to Jesus again to hear what he has to say, to see what he's going to do next, because all their eyes are on him, because this guy, his whole life seems to be filled with epic moments, like big mountaintop experiences, and so they're like, I want I want in on that. And so they, they go follow Jesus. They get to this point in the story. In John chapter 6, uh, let's start in verse uh, 25. This is what the scriptures say. It says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them. He doesn't really answer the question, but this is how he answers. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So what he's saying is, you're not coming to me because... Necessarily just because I did something awesome. That's part of it. You're coming to me because I gave you something to eat. So it kind of lets us know who this crowd is. This crowd is the same. It's, it's most of the people that he uh, would have fed uh, when he fed the 5,000. It's going to be a lot of those people. They're coming, yeah, because they saw something awesome, but also because they wanted to eat. And so they're coming back. Jesus, I mean, can we get a little bit more of that bread? Maybe this time you can put some in that garlic and cheese, like the red lobster biscuits in the bread, and that'll be good. And so that's kind of what they're saying. That we, want, we want some more things to eat. We want some more food. And uh, Jesus says, you didn't come to me just to see the signs, but you came to me because I gave you something to, I gave you something, uh, to eat. And then this is what he says. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we, be, what must we do so that we're in line, with the things, uh, in line with the things of God? And this is how Jesus answers. It says, he says to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who, uh, you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. To eat, and so this the idea here is that they come to Jesus and they're they're wanting some more bread, but then Jesus says, "You don't need that. You need to just trust in and believe in me if you want to be doing the works of God. That if you want to be in line with the things of God, just trust in Jesus." And so in response to that, they're like, "Okay, Jesus, well, you got to give us a sign so that we can actually trust you and follow you." And I think we do that a lot. It's like in our approach to Jesus, he he tells us that all we have to do. It's believe in him. All we have to do is trust in him. All we have to do is follow him. But then we kind of come back and say, well, how about this? How about you just make something epic happen in my life, and then I can trust you and follow you, right? That's kind of what happens, I think, for a lot of us. Jesus, if you'll perform this miracle, if you'll come through in this way, if you'll show up in, in, in this might and in this power for me on my behalf, then I can trust you and follow you. So that's kind of what they're saying. Jesus has already done, he's already performed all these signs and miracles, and they come back and say, well, how about another sign? And so that's kind of what they're saying. And then Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, this is in verse 32, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from, the, from heaven and gives life to the world. And so they said to him, sir, give us this bread. We want, we want that bread from heaven. That's, that's the good bread. That's the bread that we want in our life. Does anyone feel me? I would want the bread from heaven too. And so they say, give us it. That's the bread we always, always want. And this is what he says. This is where we'll focus in tonight. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here's the big idea. If Jesus is the bread of life, then I can be satisfied. So last week, we started this series called If Then, and, and, and Blake did a great job unpacking John 14, where Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. And, and in, that, in that message, what we see is that if Jesus is who he says he is, then we can follow his lead. Jesus made these statements called the I am statements, and they were pretty bold statements, and they really, for the audience of the day, it would have connected in, in their minds that when Jesus makes these I am statements, he's claiming to be God. And so when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that's a bold statement. Blake did a great job unpacking that uh, for us last week, and it kind of sets up this idea that if this is true about Jesus, then this is what is true of my life. If, if what Jesus said about himself is 100% fat, then this is the way I can respond to my life, and then this is what is true of my life. And the same is true for this idea that if Jesus is the bread of life, then you can be satisfied. And that's true, but here's something that's important. The people in this story, wanted, while they wanted something to fill their stomachs, Jesus wanted to give them something to fill their souls. And so that's super important. The people wanted something that would fill their stomachs for a moment while Jesus was saying, I can give you something. I offer something that will not fill your stomach, but it's going to fill your soul, and it's going to fill your soul for forever. And so I, I think what we see in the story is these people who they're searching for something to enjoy in just a moment, just a season of life. And what Jesus is saying is, I can give you something that will endure forever. And I think we do that a lot. We look for different things, and our culture teaches us to do this. We look for things that will make us happy right now. That if I can get that job right now, if I can get that relationship right now, if I can get, get things in, in, in order right now in life, then everything's going to be okay. And I think the, the message of the Bible is to not think in the moment, but to think for forever and to think of eternity. Our, uh, our student pastor spoke this morning and did an incredible job talking at the end of his message, talking about how that, the little sliver that we have on earth is nothing compared to eternity, but how you spend eternity certainly impacts the way you and other people spend forever. And I think the message of, the, of, of Scripture is, and what Jesus wants us to get our minds on, is think about eternal things. Don't think about things that just matter in the moment, but think about things that matter forever. And in, that, in our search for satisfaction, what we see is that while we always search for things to fill up our stomach, Jesus offers something to fill up your soul. So what are you feeding your soul? What are you feeding your soul? Which one's starving more, your stomach or your soul? And my hope and prayer for my life is that I'm chasing after things that, that they might leave my stomach a little empty. Oh, but my soul's going to be satisfied. That while I might feel lacking stuff physically, earthly, that when it comes to heavenly spiritual things, I'm going to be filled and I'm going to be overflowing because of what I'm pursuing after we... Uh, I have a couple of things, a couple of pictures um, I want to show you. I kind of talked about one earlier. Yeah, anyone know where these are from? Red Lobster, I mean, the famous biscuits. Like, these, come on, somebody. Like, these are, these are incredible, right? Like, this is one of the, why, why do people go to Red Lobster? I mean, the seafood's pretty good, but I think we go to Red Lobster because of that. Am I right? Like, it's, it's one of the best things. Go to, the, go to the next picture. Yeah, Olive Garden breadsticks. Anyone, anyone a fan? So, uh, Olive Garden breadsticks, man, they're, they're, they're the best. They're really good. Uh, I love that bread's like an appetizer. I, I love that. Go, go ahead and go to the next one. Does anyone know where this is from? Cheesecake Factory. Okay, so I had never had this until uh, I had never had this until uh, a couple weeks ago, um, and that bread is incredible. Like that, the the dark bread's like it's like really sweet. Like it's really good. I don't know if you ever had it. It's worth going to Cheesecake Factory just for that, but you probably need to get cheesecake also because it's really expensive, and so you might as well get it while while you're there. But uh, that stuff's incredible. I don't know if there's any more. Um, 
Oh, Charlie's Rolls, anybody? Like, those are the best with put, putting the butter over it, right? Does anyone feel me? Amen. Amen to that. Here's the thing, guys. Those are great appetizers, right? They come out first. It's a great way to get, get your meal started. But here's the thing. If you let those sit out long enough, they'll all go stale, right? If you let those things sit out long enough, they all go stale. The same is true for things in life. Everything fades. Here's the reality. That relationship at some point will end. And even if, you, even if you get married, there will be a point where that relationship ends. At one point, your job is going to end. And while you may have left a legacy at your work, at some point, someone's going to fill in your place. And no one's really going to remember you as much as they remember the person who's doing your job anymore. At some point, no one will remember how many baskets you made on your college basketball team or how many home runs you hit or how many strikeouts you had Peyton Lippert on your softball team. And while that's great, and I think we need to do the best we can in every area of life, everything on earth at one point will fade. It will all fade. The success of life, will, at one point, it will all be over. And the only thing that will matter is how did, we spend, how did we spend the little sliver we had on life preparing for eternity? Did we search after things that mattered in the moment, or did we search after things that mattered for forever? It's this, this fight between pursuing material things versus heavenly things. And I think that the, the thing that's going to hold a lot of us back in, in our generation is how much we seek after things of pleasure to please us in the moment, to please us right now. Oh, but God, it would be great right now. Oh, but what are you, gonna, what are you giving up? What is it costing you that matters in the long run, in, in, in the long term? And I think the fact of the matter is, is that we spend so much of our time pursuing things that, that matter in the moment, that fill up our stomachs in the moment, but they don't fill up our souls for eternity. And so what are you seeking after? What are you searching after uh, in your life? Are you working for food that perishes or food that endures for everlasting life? I think it's so interesting that we just we promote things that, that don't matter as much. I, I even uh, read this idea in this commentary that was interesting that was talking about how these people were gathering to follow Jesus because they wanted free food. And isn't it interesting in churches a lot of times that we promote free food more than we promote that we know the, pla- the place to get eternal life? Isn't that so weird? I'm not, saying, I'm, not, I'm not against promoting food in ministry. That's like student ministry, college ministry 101 to do that. So I'm not saying it's bad. But isn't that interesting? Sometimes we promote things of this world more than we promote, hey, I know how, I know the secret to eternal life, and his name is Jesus. I want to spend my life pursuing things that matter. The next idea is that if Jesus is the bread of life, then I'll never go without. If Jesus is the bread of life, I'll never go without. If you look with me in John 6, uh, chapter 15, this is kind of before all this happens. This is right after he feeds the uh, 5,000 people. It says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what it's saying is that these people wanted Jesus to be their king. He wanted, he's, they, they wanted their Messiah to be someone who had like political power because they wanted someone who could help them in their, in, in their weak moments in life. They wanted to make Jesus king because they knew that this miracle worker could provide a lot of epic moments for them, them in life. They wanted this guy who could feed 5,000 people with a boy's lunch to, to be their king because they knew that life could then be filled with a lot of epic moments when it had been filled with a lot of um, oppressed moments and disappointing moments. They wanted a Messiah who would heal their sickness, who would perform miracles on their loved ones, who would overthrow the Roman government, who would establish the under, uh, underdogs as people of power in their day. They wanted someone who would help the people who were low bec- finally become people who had authority and who were high. They wanted someone who would fill their stomachs with never-ending food. That's what, they, that's what they wanted in their life. They wanted Jesus to be their king. But here's what's interesting. While they wanted Jesus to be the king of their land, Jesus wanted to be the king of their heart. 
And so while they were in this, this mentality where they wanted to make Jesus king because of the physical things they could get, Jesus wanted to be their king because of the spiritual things he could give them. And so what are you looking at Jesus to do? Because here's the reality that if you have Jesus, you'll never go without. And while you might be lacking things physically on earth, you will never be lacking things spiritually. While you're lacking things on earth, you'll never lack things in heaven. And so if you're pursuing after, if you're pursuing after Jesus, you will never, ever, ever go without. The people didn't need more epic moments. They needed fullness and fulfillment where they were in life's normal moments. I think that's true for us. And think about your life. Or are you searching for Jesus just to give you a lot of epic moments? Are you searching for Jesus just to give you a lot of, of big mountaintop movie moments? And is that where you find all your contentment? Or do you also find contentment at 1030 on a Tuesday morning when nothing's going on? Because that's the kind of satisfaction that Jesus brings. Jesus doesn't just help you be content when everything in life is okay, when everything in life is great, but Jesus helps you be content when things are disappointing or when things are boring or when things aren't going your way or when things are just dull and dry. That's probably spring break for a lot of us. Some of you went on vacation and you enjoyed the beach and then you come back to school and then it's like, blah, right? You know, you know what I mean? That's the way it works. But to think with Jesus, every single moment in life can be satisfying, that you can find contentment in every single season because he is the the bread of life, because of what he offers, because of what he gives. So while Jesus, they wanted Jesus to be the king of their land, Jesus said, no, I want to be the king of your heart. I think one of the unfortunate things about our generation, and I'm kind of talking about that a lot, is, is as our pursuit of relationships and the fact that culture tells us that if you're not dating or if you're not moving towards a dating relationship or if you're not moving towards marriage, then you're not really like experiencing all there is to humanity. You know what I'm saying? Because like we say things like, well, if you... Uh, well, when you get married, you'll learn this. And so when people say stuff like that, what, what they're kind of communicating is that until you're married, you'll never learn all there is about life. And that's, that's not true. And I think the unfortunate thing about relationships is they teach us, or what our culture teaches us about relationships is that if I don't have it, then I'm, I'm missing out, or I'm going without. And, and the message that Jesus is communicating in John chapter 6 is that if we have him, we'll, we'll never be lacking. We'll always have more. We'll always have more. Than enough, And then here's the next point. If Jesus is the bread of life, then I always have more than enough. If Jesus is the bread of life, I always have more than enough. I know over the last couple of years, I've, uh, I've really been big into like financing and, and, and budget and, and investments and stuff like that. And uh, I think I've done pretty well. I've done not so well in some other, other areas. But I've had to learn regardless of how to manage money well. And, and a lot of that's because of uh, some of my parents uh, situation, and they don't mind me sharing this story, but we moved houses about two years ago, um, or about a year and a half ago, and it was because two years ago, my family actually uh, had to file for bankruptcy, and so because of the situation uh, that we were in, and that's just kind of become part of our story, and the reality is, is sometimes you get in situations not because you made a lot of mistakes, but just because those are the circumstances you were given. I know when uh, my father was diagnosed with cancer before he passed away, um, my mom just racked up tons and tons and tons of, of medical bills. And pretty much from the time me and my brother were three on, I mean, she was having to pay off medical bills after medical bills and could never really get ahead financially. She was a single mom. And then um, my stepdad had, um, had a great job until he fell and broke his back at work and was, uh, had to go on disability and couldn't work for the Georgia Power anymore. And uh, they kind of just got in this tough financial spot and uh, ended up having to um, like give up our home and, and whatnot. And, and we're doing, it's incredible to see how God is so faithful. To see how my stepdad gets a new job with, a, with an even better company that is able to uh, take care of our things right now. And what it shows us is that God always gives you more than enough. Jesus always comes through 
more than enough when you just depend on him and when you just trust him. Even when circumstances aren't in your favor, even when your situations aren't in your favor, that Jesus always comes through because he's faithful, because he's the bread of life, because he can always provide just what you need, but he always goes above and beyond too. Think about that story where he fed the 5,000. It says there were leftovers. They had, they had food left over because that's who Jesus is when he gives. He doesn't just give to the limit, but he gives the maximum. He gives you more than you could ever imagine. And I know even for me right now, I'm, as many of you know, I'm in the process of, uh, process of moving, and um, I'm trying to, like, figure out, like, do I like, buy a house? Like, how does that even work? And, like, I'm talking with, like, uh, this lender, and he's like, well, you know, just, like, to get a proof of this loan, you got to send, like, all this money before you can even get the loan. And I'm like, well, I kind of need it to get a loan just to get a loan because I need some money just to be able to get my loan. And so, and it's like, it's just this struggle. It's this battle right now of, like, Oh my gosh, like I, I've, I thought I had been doing well financially for myself, but now like all that's about to go out the window because I'm having to move and it's just like a process of trusting, you know what, God, if you have brought me to this moment, then you're going to protect me through this moment. If, you've, if, you, if, you, if this is your purpose for me, then you're going to provide for me. And that's because that's who Jesus is. He always gives you what you need, but he also gives you more than enough if you trust him and if you depend on him like you should. So Jesus always provides an abundance, and his faithfulness continues over and over and over and over and over again. And so at the end of all this, maybe some of you say, well, I know Jesus satisfies me. Like, I get that. Like, I understand that he satisfies me, but there's still this hesitation to trust him. And I would say for many of us, our hesitation to trust Jesus isn't because we don't think he'll satisfy us, but we just, we're not sure if what he says is true. Like, we're just not sure that we can actually trust him. Does that make sense? And so, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think one is because so many of you have had people let you down. So many of you, you've had people that have walked out on their promises. Am I right? So many of you, you've had family members who said they would be there for you, and then they didn't end up being there for you. And for some of you, you had coaches who promised that you would get playing time, but you never really got that playing time. For some of you, you had a professor who said they were going to help you out, but they didn't really help you out, and they didn't really keep they're into the deal. People in your life left when they said they never would. They broke up with you when they said they never would. They, they, they bailed on you when you were counting on them. And that's the reality. And I think here's the hard one, and, and I hope some of you will be honest with us. I think some of the hard parts of trusting that Jesus satisfies us is because for some of you, the church wasn't there for you when the church said they would be there for you. Or the church wasn't there for you when at least you thought that they should be there for you. And when your family was going through a crisis, the church didn't pull through. When you were going through, when you were battling sin and some other things, the church wasn't there to help you through that. They, they kind of left you there. I think if you're honest, so many of us, our hesitation to trust Jesus is because we have hesitations when it comes to the church. Where is Jesus different than every single one of those? He died for you. He's different because he died for you. So that kind of leads us into our last point. Why is Jesus different than, than every other person? Why can he satisfy us in ways that, that jobs or people never will, or the way success and all that never will? Because he died for you. Why? Because Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice so that you could be ultimately satisfied. And that's the truth, and that's what we see here. If you'll look at the end of this passage in uh, John 6, uh, 51, I love what Jesus um, says here. John 6, uh, 51, or starting in verse 50, it says, This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I am it. Like, you are looking at the living bread. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the, and the, bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So what is this all about? How, does, how do we know that Jesus satisfies you? How can, we, how can you guarantee that Jesus satisfies you? Because he sacrificed for you. 
So when you look at what Jesus gave up for you, you can look at Jesus and say, yeah, I know you can satisfy me because what Jesus knows about every single person, what he knew about this audience is that the only way for them to be satisfied, the only way for you to be satisfied is, that, is, is for you to have the God of the universe be in a relationship with you. Because what Jesus knows about you is that for each and every one of us tonight, there is a heaven-sized hole in our heart that can only be filled by the creator of the universe who designed us the way that he, that he made us, created us for the purposes that he has for us and to be in relationship with him is the only way that we can truly be satisfied in life and Jesus knew there was no way for me and you to get into a relationship with a God who loves us the God of heaven who created us with 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 the different gifts and passions that we have and he we Jesus knew that we could never get there on our own so what did he do he is the bread of heaven came down to earth and he died a death that we deserved after he lived a perfect lifestyle and because of that because of the gospel the story of Jesus where he died on the cross and was resurrected resurrected three days later, me and you can put our faith and trust in him and trust that because of his sacrifice that we can be satisfied. And so we don't look to Jesus and doubt him. We don't look to Jesus and say his words aren't true because Jesus did for us what no one else would do for us. And when he sacrificed himself on the cross, he became the ultimate sacrifice because he wants you to be ultimately satisfied. Jesus wants your best. So he died on the cross to eliminate your sin so that you didn't have to submit to sin, so that you didn't have to, 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 to live a sinful lifestyle to, to find pleasure or satisfaction because Jesus knows what's best for you. And so what if, our, what if our approach to life just changed because of the cross? Like we're about to celebrate this on Good Friday in a couple weeks. The, the cross is that moment in history where, where we see that Jesus sacrificed so that we could be satisfied. What if our approach to sin changed? What if we stopped sinning, not because it was bad, but because we finally saw that sin doesn't satisfy? Because what happens with sin? We keep searching for more. We keep going after more. That's what, when it comes to sin, whatever your sin is or sins are, it's never enough, is it? Because it doesn't satisfy. And what if we just believe that Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be ultimately satisfied? You can trust that Jesus will satisfy you because of what he sacrificed for you. If he is the bread of life, then you can be satisfied. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up, and we're going to get ready uh, to close uh, the night down. But I just want you to consider, when Jesus says he's the bread of life, what that means for you. That maybe it's possible for you to find contentment, satisfaction in who Jesus is alone. And while you might miss out on things of earth, the things of this world, while you might miss out on physical things, the things of the flesh, oh, what you'll gain. Oh, what you'll gain in eternity. If you would just consider who Jesus is, and how powerful that statement is when he says, I'm the bread of life, and if you come to me, you'll never be hungry, and you'll never be thirsty if you trust in me. It's the hope of the gospel. This world's going to fade, and why are we not satisfied? We're not home yet. This isn't our home. This is not where we're going to be forever. Oh, and I just long for the day. And while I, I love the life that I live, gosh, I've been so blessed with the life God has given me. Oh, the day to be home in heaven where my, the heaven-sized hole in my heart will be satisfied because I am with God and God is with me. And there is nothing holding us back. There's nothing separating us. There's no sin, no sickness, no death that's separating us anymore. But I can be satisfied because of what Jesus sacrificed for me when he gave up his life so that I could find freedom and hope and love and mercy and grace and joy in who Jesus is forever and ever and ever and ever. Oh, the hope that I hope you can find in him tonight. I hope you have that. I hope you do. I'm going to ask everyone to 
close your eyes and bow your heads. And, I, and we, don't, we don't do this a lot. I don't, I don't do this a lot. And I'm not going to ask you to stand up or do anything crazy, but I want you to sit there tonight with your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment, just so that you can reflect to yourself. That's what I want you to do just for a moment. No one looking around, just reflect to yourself and think about your life. And would anyone be just willing to, to admit, Hunter, I kind of struggle with discontentment. Would anyone be brave enough just to, you can just slip your hand up to say, I kind of struggle with discontentment in my life. Yeah, it's a battle sometimes to be satisfied, for sure. Thank you guys for, for being honest in that. Could some of you be willing to say, you know what, Hunter, I know that I've got Jesus in my life. I know that he satisfies me, but I haven't been letting him satisfy me the way I need to be letting him satisfy me. Like, I, I know my contentment is found in Jesus alone, but I just haven't been, been going there. I've been seeking pleasure in things of this world. Would anyone lift their hand and say, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like, I, I love Jesus. I'm content. I know he's where my contentment comes from, but there's just this battle right now. Yeah, thank you. There's a couple hands raised. And then there's this last group that maybe you would say, Hunter, I just don't know if I know Jesus. And I think the discontentment in my life comes from, I'm just not sure that I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm just not sure that I figured that. I'm not sure I've trusted in what Jesus has done for me on the cross. I'm not sure I believe that he has conquered my sin and that he has conquered the grave. And I'm not sure what you're even talking about when you talk about the gospel. And, and Hunter, I just think my discontentment and my, the lack of satisfaction I have is because I haven't trusted fully in Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Is anyone like that tonight would be willing to raise, raise their hand, slip their hand up? I'm going to spend some time praying for us. And I think there's several different groups in the room tonight. You know who you are. What I'm going to ask you is no matter what, when we ask people to raise our hands, it's not just so that we can say, oh, this person is, is like this, but it's, just, it's, just, it's a way of admitting, hey, this is where I'm at. And so that's what I want you to do as we pray. Think about this is where I'm at in life. This is where my satisfaction level is. This is where my contentment level is. And what I believe tonight is that it could be possible for you to find contentment. But I want, what I want you to do is that if you are wrestling with the gospel or wrestling with, with uh, what, if God's doing something in your heart or doing something in your life, there's going to be some people in the back of the room tonight that are standing back there that would love to embrace you. There's also going to be some, uh, can be some people up here if needed. This is a small uh, stage, but if you need to come up here and pray, that is available to you. If you need to sit in your chair, that's available to you tonight. I just want you to spend some time reflecting on your life. And are you satisfied? Are you content with who Jesus is? Is your hope in heaven or is it the things of this world? Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the love uh, that you have for us. Thank you for the grace that you displayed for us on the cross when you died for us. And I just pray tonight that we would find contentment in you, that we would find our satisfaction and our hope in you alone. I pray that we would see that we can be satisfied in you because you are the bread of life, that you help us live. You give us eyes to see a new kind of world. You give us, you just give us this opportunity to experience the world that you've created and the way that you've created it. And there's so much satisfaction in that. I just pray tonight that we would see that our home isn't here, that it's in heaven, and that there might be some of us in the room tonight that that's not going to be where we end up because we haven't settled things with you. And I pray that we would do that tonight. That with no questions asked, we could say, I know where I'm going, and I know where my hope is. It's in the perfect world that's far beyond this one. It's the place where God lives, and we'll live with God in perfect harmony forever one day.
So I pray that we get that right. I also pray for the right now, God. I pray that right now in this moment that we would see that we can find satisfaction, that, that you, can in, in, you can live with us, you can indwell us by your Holy Spirit, and that we can find peace in a relationship with you right now, today. We love you. I pray that we would respond well. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.